A lot of things happening in our world today, and remember OCC, Operation Christmas Child, our opportunity to, to bless kids that don't have much around the world. We got an election coming up on Tuesday, and, uh, and I'm going to give you some names of people that I want you to pray for, people in our church family. I don't know what kind of stress being in elections produces on a family, but, uh, but I know it does. And so just some people that I want you to, to pray for, if you'd remember, you can even write these down if you want to. Uh, but Christine Weiss is running here in Fremont, Chris Shea, uh, Clyde, Denny Mosier, school board Clyde, Tom Price, school board uh, here in Fremont, Justin Chafin, I believe school board Gibsonburg, April Hole, Old Fort school board, she's at our campus, and then Mandy Stacy and Andrea Horig are also running for Old Fort school board who go to the Tiffin campus. Zeke Villarreal, who attends our Northwood campus. And then in between services, I'm always worried I'm going to leave somebody out, which I did. I left, and who knows who I'm leaving out this time. But I was in between services. I walked by Harley Keegan. She didn't say a word. And then five minutes later, somebody said, well, Harley Keegan's running for a fiscal you know, officer in uh, York Township. You know? And so I, I missed her, so uh, Harley. But, uh, but just remember those people in prayer and uh, from our church family who are in these elections, and I don't know if there's a financial part of that or, or how they do that or what kind of stress levels, but just pray for them. And then we do, uh, do, we have, do we have a celebrity in the house or not? We, what's that? Huh? Asleep, okay. Oh, uh, yes, we do, okay. Tim and Alexa are here, and uh, they have their little one. Let me, Jackson. James Wes Wilson. Nailed it. Did you, I nailed that one. All right. Yeah. So great to have. And I have a couple of uh, celebrities right over here, first time celebrities, my granddaughters that are with their Aunt Carissa. So great to see them as well. But anyway, uh, just a, a great day. Our, our country is changing so fast. I mean, things that are happening now in our country, it, 20 years ago, we would have thought, no way. And it's happening. And I think a lot of that is because of information technology, um, the, the media, I think, just expands things. And then we've seen this huge change in morality in our country. And I think that happens because of people who control uh, the media, for example, spur that on. And, and sometimes that's an agenda, not always, but sometimes it is, and we see all these changes happening. And, and when we see all this stuff and technological changes, it sort of makes us wonder, well, is this somehow connected with what the Bible says is going to happen in the end times? Are things happening now that seem to line up with what the Bible said would happen in the future? The answer to that is yes. Yes, these things do seem to be aligning. They are aligning. How close, we don't know, but they are definitely aligning with how the Bible describes end times. And, uh, and it's more that way now than it has ever been before. So we're in this series, Living in Light of His Return, and we're going through the books of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and I want to set the context for, for that. Uh, last week, we learned a little bit of, about the, the background, and what happened was Paul crossed over from Asia into Macedonia, into Europe, and he first went to Philippi, and then he went to Thessalonica. 
And when he went there to Thessalonica, as he would normally do, he started preaching in the synagogues, in a synagogue there. And then he did that for like a month. And then some of the Jewish people believed. But it wasn't just Jewish people that he was impacting. A bunch of Gentiles, non-Jewish people, they also believed. And the scripture also tells us in Acts 17 that some prominent women in the city also believed. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he has this pocket of believers and they're all brand new Christians. And then persecution breaks out and it gets a little dicey and these new believers smuggle Paul out of town at night to get him out of there because persecution is breaking out. And Paul travels to another couple of cities and ends up in Corinth where later he's gonna write this letter. In the meantime, Paul doesn't know what's going on. Travel was slow, word was a little slower to get around, not like today. And he doesn't know what happened to the believers because he knows persecution broke out. That's how, why, why they got him out of there. And so he doesn't know if they've been killed. He doesn't know if they've reverted back to worshiping false gods. He doesn't know what's going on. He's in Corinth, so he sends Timothy to go check on this church, this brand new church with brand new believers. It's just been months now. He sends Timothy to check on them in Thessalonica. And then Timothy does that. Timothy comes back and he waits months and months for this to happen. But when Timothy gets back to report to Paul, really it's good news. I mean, the, the evidence of these believers, they stood strong in persecution, but not only that, they demonstrated their faith by following Christ and loving people. And so, and, and everybody's heard about him. I mean, the news is out in that region. And so Timothy comes back and tells Paul all that. And Paul is pumped up. And now he's only taught them for a little while. He hasn't had a lot of time with them. And so now he writes them a letter, and then he'll write them another letter. First and second Thessalonians are these letters to these new believers in Thessalonica. And now they do know some things. We know that they understood the most important message, the gospel. They, they understood that, that they as people had, had done things that God says is wrong. And because of that, they've been alienated from God, and not only that, that because God's righteous and holy, that he will punish sin, punish all wrongdoing, which is a problem for all of us human beings, and that God then, because he loved us, made a way for us to escape that punishment by sending his one and only son, Jesus, God in human flesh, who came and then allowed himself to be crucified to death on the cross of Calvary in a way of paying for our personal sin. And now Paul's already taught them that what they need to do then is place their faith in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation because they can't earn it in any way. And then a bunch of people had done that. Some Jewish people had done that, but more Gentiles had done that. And they became believers and they started being persecuted. And that sets the context. They know that Jesus was not only killed, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from the dead and then he taught for another 40 days or so. And then after that, he ascended into heaven. Paul had also taught them that Jesus is coming back. And they were focused on Jesus' return. And that's the context here. 
Tim, last week, took us through chapters 1, chapter 2, partway through chapter 3, and that's where I want to pick it up in 1 Thessalonians 3, beginning with verse 11. And this is kind of a transition prayer in this letter, and here's how it goes. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. He's saying he wants to go back. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so he has this prayer, and it ends with this, the coming of the return of Jesus with all his saints. And that's what the people in Thessalonica were kind of focused on. And so he's throwing it out there. And no doubt they're wondering, because they had focused on that, what they should do, how to prepare for his return. And it's the same way with us. When we see all the events that are happening that seem to be aligning with what scripture says, his end we know is sooner than it was before. And so we wonder, you know, what do I do? If Jesus is coming back, and if it's getting closer, what should I do? What action should I take? I mean, should I sell my house, give the money to the poor, and then move into the church building? No, by the way, is the answer to that. You know, do I do that? You know, do, do I, I get my go bag all set and have my dried food and stock up on ammo? Is that the way to go? Do I quit my job and grab a, a sign and go out on the street corner that says the end is near? What do I do? And this is what Paul is going to answer them. He's going to tell them. And it's interesting because he starts out in chapter 4 answering this question what we should do to prepare in light of his return. And so here it is, verse one. Finally then, brethren, we request, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So it's interesting as he starts, the prayer's over, he starts this instruction. And I don't know about you, but if you ever try to encourage somebody to do the right thing because they're slipping a little bit, but mostly they are doing the right thing, they're trying to do the right thing, that maybe this is a close friend of yours and you're just trying to encourage them to take that next step, you know, to keep going. That's kind of what's going on here. Paul's acknowledging that they're doing a great job, that he's pumped up about what he's hearing about their faith, but then he's telling them, excel still even more. He's saying, hey, live like God wants you to live. Not, not that you're not doing that, but keep going. Don't give up. Keep focused. And then in the next passage we're going to look at, there's a word, sanctification. That, that is repeated three different times in the next few verses. And sanctification, really, it's connected to the word holiness that, we, that he was talking about in his prayer, that we'd be found blameless, holy. Sanctification is connected with holiness. The difference is, it's not, when he uses this word, it's not the state of holiness. We know as Christians that once we discover truth and decide on Jesus, that we should demonstrate change in our life. 
And that happens as we grow closer and closer to Jesus. As we grow closer to Jesus, our life changes more and more. That's a never-ending process that always happens in the life of a Christian. And so that process is sanctification. It's related to the word holiness, but holiness is kind of about where you're at. Sanctification is always about the journey. It's not the level, hey, here you are, you're sanctified. We don't get completely sanctified at any time on this earth. It's more about becoming more and more sanctified or or growing closer and closer to Christ, to conforming our life more and more to be more like God would want us to do. It's not the state of holiness a person is in, but the progress of growing closer to God. And we, as Christians, we know we should never be satisfied with our spiritual growth to whatever point we're at because there's always more, right? There's always more a way to grow closer to God. And that's what God wants us to do, to keep demonstrating change in our life. And so we're sanctified as we strive to follow Jesus more closely. So now he's going to get down to specifics and say, okay, exactly here's how you should live. You're living in light of his return and you want to know what to do. Here's exactly what you should do. I want you to be sanctified. Or he's saying, I want you to go closer and to grow closer and closer to God. And here's specifically how I want you to do that. So here he starts. And the first thing, it's not really what we expect. He says this, avoid sexual sin. He's saying, live in purity is what he's saying. Didn't expect him to start that way. And we're wondering, okay, why are we talking about this topic? Why this? If we're thinking about Jesus coming back, why are we shifting to this topic? And the reason is, is because it's such a big part of our culture. It's a big part of our culture, and it was then too. It's weird because today we tend to think, well, people who lived 2,000 years ago they were really naive when it comes to the issues of, you know, sexuality, purity, all those things. I mean, they kind of lived in a little bubble and they, they never faced any of the temptations that we face and they weren't educated like we are. That is not true. As a matter of fact, they were in Thess- Thessalonica and Corinth. Those cultures were more immoral in that way than we are today. They were further out there than us. And he's, what Paul is concerned about is because they grew up in that culture, he's not just assuming, that's why he sent Timothy, he's not just assuming that they have been able to break out of those lifestyles to follow Christ more closely because those are kind of lifelong habits for people. So he's not assuming that, he's encouraging them. And so he writes this, and here's how he starts in verse 3. He says, for this is the will of God. Strong words here, very interesting. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you, that each of you know how to possess or control his own vessel or body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. And that means, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, that matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us 
for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. That word just keeps showing up. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Interesting way to end that instruction. He's saying, notice, hey, if you reject this, you're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting some pastor who's telling you this. You're rejecting God who gave you the Holy Spirit. And sometimes what's interesting for pastors is a lot of times people will say, hey, what's God's will for my life? Or, hey, I I got this decision. What do you think God's will is? God's will, God's will. What's God's will? And here in this little book, 1 Thessalonians, four times Paul says this is God's will. Four different things. And he starts off in this area of be pure, he's saying. Morally pure. And then he goes on to say be joyful always in, in the next chapter which is the last chapter, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't really elaborate on those three, but he elaborates on the first one, avoiding sexual immorality. He's saying, learn to control, as he elaborates, he's saying, learn, learn to control your desires and conduct and don't harm others. Because when we involve other people in our sin, It hurts those other people, not just us, but them as well. God wants us to live in our culture. He wants us to rub shoulders and mix it up in our culture. We live in our culture, but we don't live of our culture. We're in our culture, we're not of our culture. And he's saying live a life. God wants us to live a life that distinguishes us from those in our culture who don't know God. That's the normal Christian life. That's God's will for our lives. So I have a story to tell you. So a week ago, almost two weeks, two weeks ago tomorrow, two Mondays ago, um, I was invited to go out to Terra State Community College and speak to a class on comparative religions or something. And so, you know, and it was kind of at an inconvenient time, but I think, well, I'll go do this because I'll just go share the, you know, I get to go share the gospel. So, you know, I'll do it. And so it's a 20 minute little thing that I do. So I get there out at Terra Tech and uh, Terra State. Yeah, I get there and, uh, and I walk into the class and then I find out that there's actually, I'm one of four speakers. And so I walk in class, there's a rabbi, a priest, and a, by the way, this is not a joke that I'm starting here. You know, a rabbi and a priest and a Lutheran. You know, we're not going into a bar and we're not going into an airplane. We go into, we, so if there's a rabbi, a priest, a Lutheran, and me that go into this classroom. And so they start with me and I just, you know, and these guys have binders of stuff and, and I, I don't even bring a note. You know, I just go in and give them the short, it's 20 minutes, give a short history of the world and the gospel. You know, what God did, you know, Christ came to die for our sins and, and through faith in him, we have a relationship with him forever. So that's my, my deal. And then the other three men talked. And then it was question time. So you can imagine questions from college students. But So the first question was kind of predictable. The first question is, and it was kind of to everybody, it was about LGBTQ plus and gender, you know, and, and those kinds of issues. And so that came up and the priest was asked that first. And so basically he said, 
you know, we're changing in this area and we're, and there was just a commission that the Pope appointed, you know, talk, talk about some gender issues and some of this stuff. And, and then that commission came back and gave the recommendation to the Pope that we should loosen up on some of this stuff. And then the Pope heard that, but he was thinking he wanted another commission. And he could, you could tell it, it seemed like that the priest was a little frustrated that this was going kind of slow and, and things were maybe not moving as fast as he, he thought it should move. And then the Jewish guy, who was not just doing Orthodox Judaism, but he was talking about all kinds of Judaism, even cultural Judaism. So he's just kind of representing Jewish people. And he basically said the, the same thing. Well, we're trying to be, you know, more affirming of all these things. And, you know, we're trying to broaden and sort of change uh, some of our beliefs. And then the Lutheran guy talked and he said the same thing. He said, I don't just really represent Lutherans, but also we're Presbyterians and Methodists. We all change the same pulpits. We all kind of have this common thing that we agree on. And yeah, we're changing in these areas and this, this, and it was all about change. And then it got to me. <laughs> so it didn't go. So then I just said, you know, as you guys can imagine, oh, train wreck. and then I just said, uh, you know, actually, we're not changing on any of this stuff. We actually believe that what God told us in the first century and before that in the Jewish Bible, which I was correct, not Old Testament, Jewish Bible, you know, in, in the first century in the New Testament, we still believe that. And it's just as true today as it was in then. And we believe that some of these issues involving LGBTQ, if it involves a physical relationship, that that is sin, just like we believe heterosexuals who engage in relationships either before marriage or outside of their marriage, that's also sin. And, that, and we believe that has not changed at all. And so that's how that went. And then, but I'm setting this up for some, because another question was asked. And then one of the other questions was this. They said, somebody, and, and it was sort of one of those questions like, how irrelevant can you guys be? You know, it was a question that went this way. Well, all of your congregations are shrinking. I mean, your movements are dying. So, you know, what do you attribute that to? And the priest answered first, and it was basically the, w the way I heard it was, you know, that he was saying, well, we're just not changing fast enough. I mean, we're changing to, to reflect our culture, but we're not changing quick enough. And then the, the rabbi said, yeah, we're, you know, basically kind of said the same thing independently. He was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're making these changes, but we're really not changing fast enough. But some elements of Judaism are changing very fast. And, you know, they're more reflecting our culture and all this. And then the Lutheran guy basically said the exact same thing, that we're changing, but we're just not changing quick enough. And then it came back to me. And then I said, we're not shrinking. We're growing. And we, yeah. I, I didn't get any applause when I was talking to the class. But anyway, so that's great. But so, you know, we're, we're, we're not shrinking. We're actually growing. I told them a little bit about that. And then I said, class, I want you to notice something, though. I, I want you to connect these things together. The movement that's saying we are not changing to reflect our culture is the only movement that's growing. The movement that says we're committed to God's word the way it was originally written is the only movement that's growing. I want you to notice, I think there's a reason for that. When I said that, the rabbi was kind of sitting like 45 off this, and I looked over and I thought he did this. I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw him do this. <laughs> Just like that. Like, huh, never connected those. 
Because he did that, I looked over to the priest who was over on my right, you know, like 15 feet away. And so I looked over to him and I saw him do this. <laughs> like, really, like they never connected those two things. And I didn't look at the Lutheran guy. They never, <laughs> like they never connected those two things in their mind. And to me, they were absolutely connected. That's how fast our world has changed. So that's the story. But when I was leaving, so I'm walking out and the professor caught me and she said, hey, Kevin, would you be willing to come and meet with our LGBTQ community? And I said, yeah. And then I said, you did hear what I said, right? And she said, yeah, because she had popped it. You know, there was like a couple. She left for a minute and came back in and left for a minute. And I didn't know when she was doing that. I'm like, you did hear what I said, right? She said, yeah. And I said, yeah, I would be happy to meet with, with anybody, you know, and just explain to them where, where we're coming from. And then I said, because I don't want to blindside anybody. If you sort of want to know where I'm coming from or they want to know, they can actually go back to a series on our website, ohiograce.com, to redacted. And I did, you know, a, a sermon on gender and a different sermon on sexuality and they'll know but I'd be happy to come but anyway just you never know what's going to happen and who knows whether that'll happen because I haven't heard anything back but the point is this our culture has changed so much and now when you voice sort of traditional moral values but we would say more importantly biblical values it's like they're the first reaction is what cave did you walk out of? Where are you from? What are you thinking? But then all of a sudden they hear it and it's more relevant to their lives than they thought. And that's the whole point. So this immorality is, is in this context, it's from a root word, pornea. We've talked about this before. It's very broad. It's the opposite of purity. And it's basically this. Here's, here's our instruction. You guys already know this. God is calling us to faithfulness, in marriage and abstinence in singleness. God says marriage is great, singleness is great, but if you're married, be faithful to your marriage, and if you're single, be abstinent in your singleness. And here's what, and Paul's saying this, and it's basically, here's what I want to tell you today, because this is what he was saying to them, because they came out of a pagan culture. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through, no matter who you were with, you know, no matter any of that stuff, Today, God is calling you to follow him in this area. Faithfulness in marriage, abstinence and singleness. And as we do that, we honor God because it's what he wants us to do. And then, because we're thinking, this is a weird topic, prepare for the end times by being pure. I don't get it. Well, then Paul gives us three reasons for this, this purity. He's saying, first of all, he says, because we're accountable for our sin. There's an avenger. That's what that's talking about. We're accountable for our sin. So, and that sounds different to us as believers because we know if we put our faith in Christ, we know that our sins are forgiven. They're covered, that we're washed free of those. And so when we go to heaven, those, those are not an issue. They're no longer a barrier between us and God. And we cannot be punished for that because Jesus was already punished for them. And because we put our faith in him, we, you know, it's not even just that punishment get meted out to two people for one crime, the same thing. So we know that we're saved from that. That's the terminology. 
But what scripture also teaches is that we as believers, we are still accountable for our life. We will still be held accountable by God and we will stand before him and give an account of our life. Now, this will not determine our eternal destiny. That's what salvation is all about. That's locked, sealed. These sins will not be counted against us. It's not about sin. It's about how we live our life. And so we call that the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat, something that happens in the future. It's not the great white throne judgment, which is different, but this is a judgment that's more like the Olympic judgment where you get a, a prize or, you know, you get first, second or third, or, you know, you get a crown or, or a, a medal or whatever it is for doing good. So we're rewarded for faithfulness in this judgment and there's no punishment, but that's coming. So why? pay attention to this area of our life? Well, because we're accountable for our, for our lives. Second reason is God has saved us and he's called us to follow him. He's called us to demonstrate change. He's called us to be sanctified, to grow closer and closer to him. That's the second reason. Third reason we already mentioned, it's that rejecting this instruction is not rejecting a pastor or even an apostle. It's rejecting your savior. It's in this area, it's saying, okay, God, I don't really want to listen to you in this area of my life because I think I'm smarter than you in this area of my life. That's never a good thing to do. All right, so that's one way. Purity. And then the second way is this, that we live in light, living in light of his return is to love others. And this is a little more maybe what we would expect. That continues in verse 9. He says, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren to excel still more. That's the second time we've seen that phrase. We urge you to excel still more. This is interesting because what he's saying is we ought to love people, but he's acknowledging that they're already doing that. And he says, because you're doing it, maybe Paul didn't emphasize this. He says, I know because you're doing it that you've been taught by God. And what he means by that is he's saying, because of the Holy Spirit in you, God inside of you is teaching you to love others, especially fellow believers. You know, for me, in my life, I just, you know, you remember snapshots of when you're younger. And when I was a teenager going to my church in Pueblo, Colorado, uh, I remember Baptist church there. And I remember, you know, I felt a little bit like an outsider and I kind of sit up, there was a balcony on back, back of the balcony for a while, but uh, you know, and I just remember feeling a little bit like I didn't quite fit in, but I loved the church. I loved the people. I mean, I, was, I remember sitting in the balcony looking over the congregation thinking, I would die for these people. Why? Because we're here together learning God's word. We have the message. God has brought us together for a reason. We need to change the world. We have the message of salvation. We have the only hope, not, not that we're the only church, but just that we, the church in general, is the hope of the world. I remember thinking that and thinking especially, that, and I didn't even know all the people. I was just like, I love these people, even though they don't know who I am. That's the way as believers. Where did that come from? They weren't teaching that. My pastor is a great pastor back then. He was not teaching that. It's something of the Holy Spirit inside of you that you want to love God. You want to love his people and you want to love others as well. 
because you're loved by God and you don't deserve it. You're ready to love anybody and everybody, especially the household of faith, especially believers. And so how to live before his return, he's saying, hey, live in purity, keep loving. And then third, he throws out another one again, and we'll kind of wrap with this. It's got a couple parts to it. But he says, basically, be productive. Be, be a productive worker. And we're thinking, what? Be a productive worker? How does that fit into he's coming back? And again, it's, it's an unexpected practical example of God's instruction for us. Here's what he says in verse 11. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. And so we might wonder, wow, that seems like an odd one. You know, why, why throw that in? And it seems like maybe what happened, we don't know, this is speculation, we're trying to piece it together. But what may have happened as Paul hears from Timothy what's happening with these new believers in Thessalonica, that maybe that they were so focused on the return of Jesus that some of them quit their jobs. You know, hey, Jesus is coming back. You know, why am I even messing with, you know, trying to earn a living? Or that could be combined with the fact that because the church was loving other people, especially their own, that the generosity of the church was pouring in. And then they knew, hey, well, if I don't have anything, the church will support me. Just like we do here today uh, at Grace. You know, so they knew, well, people will, will help support me. So it's not really that important if I work. And back then, most of your work was just to your food. So we, we don't know if one of those or both was involved, but for some reason, Paul hears back from Timothy and he says, hey, keep working, keep working. And he starts that off by saying, um, you know, that make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That, that means a peaceful life. Or at, the picture in the Greek word is like after you work or after you go to battle, after, that, then you rest a little while, you rest up and you're, you're sort of, peaceful at the time. You're trying to be peaceful with people. That's not meaning that you don't take action and then attend to your own business. Don't we love that? You know, don't be a busybody. Don't stick your nose into what other people's lives about what's going on. Now, if there are a, a fellow Christian that you're friends with, you may need to do some of that. But in general, we don't stick our noses in other people's business. He's saying, work with your hands, work hard. So what he's done, just like we commanded. And we talked about work and don't waste your work, a series a few months ago. And, um, but then we might ask, well, why is this here? We understand there might be some circumstances, but what would be so bad about them living off of fellow believers that wanted to contribute to them? I mean, what's the deal? Why work hard? Well, then he continues in verse 12, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Paul's saying here, live in a way, live a life that emphasizes diligence, providing for our families, and working hard. And when you do that, it will win the respect of outsiders, people who are not Christians. And when you have their respect, when they see, hey, you don't interject yourself into their life, you work hard, you, you kind of try to be at peace with everybody, you provide for your own needs, and you later in this same, to these same people, uh, Paul's writing, work hard and have enough to share with other people. 
You know, so, and when outsiders, non-believers see that, they tend to respect more, and then that gives us a platform, it gives us an opportunity to point them to Jesus to impact their life. That's why. That's why we should work hard. And so, and, and that's an opportunity we have this week. So we started this series, you know, living in light of his return, and then the first, last week and this week, we're sort of foundational to that. And I know everybody's like, yeah, when are we get into what's next? We're getting to what's next next Sunday. And every Sunday in the series after that, we're talking about what's next, what is God saying is going to happen. But here's the opportunity as we impact non-believers. Even non-believers are sometimes interested in what the Bible says about what's going to happen at the end. And even if they don't know if they believe it or they don't believe it, it's still interesting to hear it to them. So now's our opportunity to invite them. So next Sunday is, you know, even though it's third in our series, it's the best week to invite them because, hey, now we're starting to talk about all this stuff. What's going to happen in the future as God tells us in his word? And so it's a great time to invite people back next Sunday. And we're actually developing this week a... uh, sort of a a video promotion that'll be kind of fast moving and hard hitting, we think, and we're working on that, that we can kind of share with social media. So look for that to come out later in the week. And then also we have invite cards, but the point is great time to invite somebody, why? Because God's asking us, Paul's reminding us to live in a way that impacts other people. So that's what we want to do. I mean, it's weird because a lot of us love teaching on end times. How many of you are like kind of, you love this stuff? Because not everybody does, but I mean, you like end times and the rest of you are just kind of sweating through this. You know, hanging with us. It, to me, it's really interesting. That, that's the way I am. I always, since I was a teenager, I studied prophecy. You know, I would go home and take notes and listen to sermons about prophecy of guys I didn't even know, trying to figure it all out, look up the stuff. It was just super interesting stuff. You know, that's, we're all that way. But what's weird is when God says, well, here, I want to tell you some stuff to get ready for those events. We're like, oh, okay. Well, I was really wanting to hear about the events. You know, he's telling us, get ready. And then how to get ready. Well, what if he doesn't come next week? I mean, then I got ready for another. No, this is what God wants us to do all the time. But especially in light of his return is what he's saying to us. Jesus is coming again. He promised that. Take it to the bank. It's happening. The question for us today is more like, are we living in God's will? Are we growing closer to Jesus every day? Are we continuing to demonstrate change in our life is the way we say it around here? And and if there's a question about that, there's no better time to recommit to following Jesus more closely than today. Don't wait. Refocus. Commit to following him more closely today. Doing life God's way today. Now here's the deal. We've never been closer to the return of Jesus than we are right now. As we see events unfolding we can see, we're not saying, we're not throwing out dates, but we can, as we see events unfolding, 
we see how they are setting the stage for everything that was written about the return of Christ in Scripture. Things that we could have never figured out. How could what this says happen now because of technology and other things? We go, oh, that happens every day. Things that God said would happen, we now, the table is set. We now see how that can happen tomorrow. That's what we're going to focus on next week. Don't want you to miss it. Even if you don't like prophecy, come and listen anyway. It'll be good for you. You know, come and do that. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. Thanks for loving us. Lord, thank you for telling us about your return. You didn't have to even let us know that was happening. And Lord, we know that we don't know the timing, that you've told us that very clearly. So we can't be, start throwing out dates or anything like that. That's not what we're about. But Lord, we see events happening that seem to be described in your word. Lord, we don't want to ignore that either. So give us wisdom, Lord, as we look at things. But even more importantly, Lord, help us who are here, who are believers, to follow you with our life. And Father, for those who are with us, our friends, our family, our people from our community, our neighbors, Lord, who are and don't know you, Father, we pray that you would draw them to yourself, help them to see, Lord, your truth. And Lord, help us to be a help to them as they do that. God, thanks for loving us, and not just with words, but with action, by allowing your son to voluntarily give his life in payment for our sins. None of us deserve that. And God, thank you for allowing us to respond to you in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for being here. Remember to invite somebody next week and grab a box on your way out. You're dismissed. See you next week.